Uh, you know, last week, Pastor Michael closed our series uh, in the fruit of the spirit uh, with uh, self-control. Uh, and the entire series is on our podcast. Uh, you can find that on iTunes if you missed any one of the fruits. Uh, but there are a total of nine spiritual fruits that Paul uh, describes. Uh, and these are virtues and characteristics uh, that all Christians actually should grow in. Um, but they are also supernatural fruits, meaning that left to ourselves, uh, we cannot actually produce all these amazing fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, and if you're wondering what these fruits actually look like in real life, all we need to do is actually go to the Gospels and look at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ perfectly embodied all these fruits. And so if you're curious about what patience looks like, look at Jesus and how he dealt with his opponents, how he dealt with his disciples, uh, and all the other fruits of, of, of joy, of love, and of peace and kindness. You can find all of those in the 33 years of life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And he is the ultimate model. But what can happen with a series like this where we describe Christian virtues and there's a list, we can't help but do a self-inventory. Right? We look at the produce section of our lives and see what, they're, uh, what, they're, uh, what fruits are there or what fruits aren't there. Uh, and another thing we are tempted to do is compare our inventory to others. Right? And so we're discouraged because we lack fruit compared to others, or our egos are inflated because compared to others, I'm actually, my, my, my stock is good. Uh, but the ultimate standard, once again, is Jesus. Uh, we aren't meant to compare our fruits to other people's fruits or our trees to other people's trees. We're, we're to look at Jesus as the ultimate embodiment of these fruits. And so the fruitful life is the Christ-like life. The goal of the Christian life is, isn't, rel, is, isn't for us to be relatively better people, right? better this year than last year, but rather to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And the question is, do you resemble him in, in word and deed and thought? How much do you look like and act like Jesus in your everyday life and relationships? Now, when we consider these questions in our lives, it can't help us make us feel anxious or, or nervous. And one of the main ten tensions that I've noticed in the life of this community is the question of assurance. How can I be sure that I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian? How can I be sure that I'm, I'm saved? And there are many sitting in this room that are unsure of their eternal destiny. They don't know if they are a true child of God or belong to his kingdom. Many of these insecurities stem from our personal assessment and evaluation, right? They notice that they don't have much fruit. Their desires are not for the things of God. Sin is constant. And maybe there are nagging doubts about the claims of Christ. And in any of these factors or combination of them can cause one to question their salvation. Am I truly saved? Today, I want to preach on a very beautiful doctrine and I believe that will help us understand our Christian lives and to help us grow in confidence in our salvation. And the doctrine is progressive sanctification. Uh, you may have heard of it. This might be the first time uh, you heard of it, but this is a beautiful doctrine. And I have three questions for us regarding progressive sanctification. The first question is, what is sanctification? 
The second question is, why is it progressive? And lastly, how does it work? What is it? Why is it progressive? And how does it work? So the first, what is sanctification? First, let me share a definition of sanctification. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 35. Catechisms are just summaries of important Christian doctrines. It helps us digest them a little bit easier uh, and to educate us on the ma- uh, important matters of the Christian faith. So this is how the Westminster Shorter Catechism describes sanctification. It is a work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Another word that can help us understand sanctification is transformation. It is a process in which a Christian is transformed to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, if we look at this definition, there's a past tense, renewed. But in the second part of the definition, we see the word enabled. So in other words, we are renewed and are abled to continue in that renewal. Right? So this is an interesting concept, right? So sanctification is both a completed work and an incomplete work. Christians are both sanctified and are being sanctified. And a passage that can help us understand this definition is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Notice the relational language here. As obedient children, so the assumption is you are a child of God. This is talking about our status as Christians. But then we also get the command, be holy because God is holy, because your father is holy. See, my uh, wife Jane and I, we have three kids. There's nothing I can say or do to not make them my kids, right? There's nothing they can do or not do to not make them my kids either, right? And there are natural traits that uh, uh, our kids receive from us. For example, Deacon has my eyes. It's unfortunate for him. (laughs) And my two daughters, right, uh, Devin and Dylan, has Jane's appearance, which is awesome, right? (laughs) Uh, Deacon has my sensitivity. Deacon and Devin has my sensitivity. And my youngest one, Dylan, she's really tough, like, like Jane. Right? There, there are things, there are traits that pass, that we pass on to our children where they resemble us, and it's just obvious. Right? Deacon, Devin, and Dylan are Jane and uh, uh, DC's kids. Right? And, and over time, they're going to pick up different qualities, different things that they observe from us. It's just, it's just meant to happen because we live together. Uh, for better or for worse, they're going to become like uh, more and more me and Jane. And that's true for me, right? And with my parents, as much as I say that I didn't want to be like them when, when I become a, a dad, I'm just like my dad, right? In good and bad ways. And so it's helpful to understand sanctification in this way. Here's how it works. We hear the gospel message, right? Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And when you place your faith, 
right? You realize you're a sinner. You're not perfect. I can't measure up to God. So I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. What happens is instantaneously you are now a child of God. God is now your father. There is no pending period. There is no waiting period for the paperwork to process. No, you are a child. And this is an amazing, mysterious thing that happens. By faith, by trusting in Jesus, I am now fully adopted into God's family. From being an outsider, once an enemy of God, now I'm an insider, a child of God. And that is the start of the Christian life. But it does not end there. Now being under a new household with God as our father, there is a repurposing that happens. There's a reordering of our lives. So faith repositions us from being an outsider to an insider, but also that same faith repurposes us. It reorders our lives so that we resemble God as our spiritual father. And God is holy. And so we too should be holy. And so we need to understand the order of how things happen. This is of the utmost importance for the Christian life. The sequence of how our Christian life begins. And this is what, this is what makes Christianity unique from all other religions. See, religion will tell you, you've got to repurpose your life to be repositioned. You've got to get your life in order to get on the inside. See, the difference in Christianity is that you're given a place in God's house as a free gift of grace. Now you're called and you're enabled to be a child of God. See, the religious life, the, the religious one lives in such a way to try and get a seat at the table. But the Christian lives as one sitting with God at the table, desiring to be like their father. Do you understand the difference? Do you see the distinction? Religion will tell you to reorder your life so that you can be repositioned. Christianity said you're repos repositioned by grace. And therefore, you're undergoing a process of reordering your life to resemble God as your father. Which one are you today? Are you living the religious life or are you living the Christian life? Sanctification is first a grace gift, whereby faith we are repositioned in God's family. We are set apart. We are already holy by being in God's family. But again, that is only the start of the Christian life. From then, we begin our upward growth in holiness. But this change is extremely hard and difficult. And this leads us to our second question. Why is it progressive? While our repositioning is instant, our repurposing is not. Why? Why aren't we immediately transformed into the image of Christ? Why aren't we immediately beamed up to heaven once we place our faith in Jesus? You know, there are some actually living today that believe in Christian uh, perfectionism. They actually believe that in this earthly life, you can be perfect, spiritually perfect, morally perfect. I don't think there's any evidence in Scripture that that teaches that, uh, that you can be perfect. But rather, the, the Bible says that 
the Christian life is, is this constant tension of wrestling, of competing desires, right? I know what I should do, but I don't do it. The things that I know I shouldn't do, I, I so easily do. This is the tension of the Christian life. And over and over again, the biblical authors speak to this tension that it's not easy. Right? One of my favorite passages regarding progressive, the progressive nature of sanctification is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So in this passage, Paul is writing a letter to the church of Corinth. They have a hard time changing of being sanctified or growing in sanctification. And the word that he uses here, he uses the image of a veil. A veil. And this is a very important imagery. See, when God rescued his people from slavery, right, he redeemed them. He gave them the law. These were binding agreements to the people of Israel. The Ten Commandments. If you obey the Ten Commandments, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you will be cursed. The law is a veil. Why? Because as much as the Israelites were trying to obey the law, they failed. They failed. And because they failed, they were unable to see God in the fullness of his glory and to be with God in close fellowship because they were guilty of being disobedient. To God's law. And that is what Paul means when he talks about the veil. See, the law, although it revealed God's holiness, its requirements were impossible to uphold and keep. And so because of Israel's inability to fulfill the law's requirements, it hindered their ability to see God for who he is and to be with him. So in order for us to see God and to be with God, to experience him as a father, the veil needs to be lifted. We, th that veil needs to be uncovered from our face. And so the question then becomes, how can the requirements of the law be lifted without God diluting his holiness or compromising his holiness? How does he do this? He sent us Jesus Christ to lift that veil off our face. He would perfectly obey the law, fulfill the covenant requirements on our behalf, and then he will die in our place for our sins. And so faith in Christ then now lifts that veil off our face. Now we can see God for who he really is as our loving father. And we can experience fellowship and intimacy with him because that law is dealt with in Christ. Now that is the good news of the gospel. But notice what the Christians are called to do in this passage. Behold, turn your face to Jesus. In doing so, you'll be transformed to that which you are beholding. Behold Jesus. Now here is why sanctification is progressive and why it's so hard. Because there are things previous to Jesus that we are so used to beholding. Those are the things that we identify our lives with. The things that give us our sense of worth and significance. We shape our lives around these previous things that we used to behold. See, before Jesus, there, were, there was an entire way of life that we were accustomed to. 
And so what happens when we're adopted as God's children, we carry with us into this new relationship baggage from our old lives. And in this baggage are the very things that shaped who we are, past tense. Now, you know, I don't use, this is my first time ever using props in, in my preaching. So, and this might be my last time, depending on how it goes. But so this is how it works, right? Once I place my faith in Jesus, I'm now entering into his household, and now I'm a child. But what, I'm, what am I carrying with me? Baggage from my old life. Now, what is in this bag? In here are some things that I am accustomed to. Right? The first thing I want to show you guys are my basketball shoes. Right? This represents my performance. I, I, I'm, I'm very competitive. And so much of my worth and significance comes from how I perform. Whether it's on the court whether it's in life, whether it's in ministry, I look to these, right, to, 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 to perform well, right? That's the first thing. The second thing I want to show you is this. Whoops. This is my jersey. Now, a lot of times, like, I, I, I'm a huge Husky fan. This is where I graduated from. But like many of you guys know, my college years were my dark years. This represents my guilt and shame from a lot of the broken relationships that I have had in college and my addiction in college. So this is another thing I'm very accustomed to, which represents my guilt and shame. The last thing I want to show you is this. It's my robe as a reverend. This represents my achievements, my resume, my self-righteousness. The things that, that make me proud of who I am, right? These are the three things that I wanted to show you guys. So I bring all this, all this into my relationship with God. But as I grow closer and closer with God, I realize that these things don't have it, they, they carry no weight in my relationship with God. God doesn't look at these things and, de and determine whether I'm a child or not, Right? I'm a child because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Right? My, my, my performance, my shame and guilt, my self-righteousness, my, all my achievements, it has no bearing on my relationship with God because I'm saved by grace. And not of, none of these things. And so what I want to do in my relationship because these things don't, I want to slowly discard them my life and to receive everything else that God has for me in his life but that's hard that is so hard because I'm so used to this so as, as, as soon as something bad or painful happens in my life because I'm not familiar with God's grace and his love and his mercy what do I do I start reaching for these things for example, when I realized that I, I haven't been living a good Christian life, I've been missing church, not reading the Bible as much as I should, I sense that there's distance between me and God. What do I immediately reach for? I immediately reach for my shoes. Okay, so I've been lacking. I've been, I've been really just dropping the ball with my walk with God. So I'm just going to work my butt off to get back into the good graces of God. 
So what do I do? I, I, I try to faithfully attend church. I serve more. Maybe I'll give more. And then maybe God will accept me. Performance. I'm so tempted to reach there. When I willfully sin, when I'm impatient with my kids, when I yell at Jane, when I commit sins of lust, what is my immediate impulse? Shame and guilt. I want to feel shame and guilt. So I'm just, I want to put this on. And what is that? What, what happens then? There's now distance between me and God because of my shame and guilt. I created a wedge. God doesn't. I do. Because that's what I'm used to. And here's the kicker. When I'm actually doing good, I'm living a good life, I'm being a good dad, good father, I'm serving the church faithfully, what do I try to reach for? I try to reach for this. Self-righteousness. Even in my goodness, I try to put this on. And I, and I try to strut around in God's house with this on. It has no place in my new relationship with God. See, all of us, we carry with us something of our past life. Things that we are accustomed to, things that we are used to, into this new relationship with Jesus. And a lot of it comes from our upbringing, especially in the Asian American upbringing, shame and guilt. Performance. You got to work hard. You got to be a good person. And so it's difficult to change. It's difficult to embrace the new because it's just so foreign. It's so unnatural. I want to read for us Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what happens when I start to put on my shoes? God's like, There's, you don't have to. Jesus Christ performed for you. Take those shoes off. You don't need it. What happens when I reach for my jersey and try to put it on? Oh, oh, you don't need to wear that. Jesus died for your shame and guilt. You no longer have that. And when I reach for my robe, God will say, oh, that's cute. That's pretty cute. You think you're righteous? I've given you perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. You don't need to wear that. I've given you it. Why? Why do you try to wear that? The Christian life is a constant battle of faith. Am I going to trust in myself or am I going to trust in what Jesus has done for me? See, Paul calls his baggage the old self. Another word he uses is flesh, our flesh. There are old desires and old passions, residual sin that's still within us. And the flesh is in direct competition with the spirit that is trying to transform us. But along with our flesh, the Bible identifies two other resistances that hinders us from transforming. The second is the world. The world's ideologies, the principles, they define for us what it means to be successful, what it means to be accepted. That's the second resistance. And the thirdly, Satan himself, the tempter, the deceiver, 
the one that waits for us when we're vulnerable and isolated to whisper lies to us. Sanctification is progressive in nature because we have all three, the flesh, the world, Satan, trying to hinder us from becoming more like Christ. So the Christian journey is a lifelong detox of the old, an intaking of the new, growing a distaste for the old and developing a new appetite and a new hunger for the new. That is why transformation happens not instantly, but one small degree at a time. And that's why it's hard. And so we are all a work in progress. We are all unfinished. But at the same time, this can be extremely frustrating. Right? And this brings us to our last question. How does it work? How does progressive sanctification work? Does it happen passively or do I actually play a role in it? So the baggage that I bring has no bearing in my relationship with God. My sonship is based on Jesus Christ, faith in him. But now what happens is God gives me new shoes. He gives me new clothes for me to wear. And all these things are given to me so that I can learn and grow to be a child of God. Uh, there's a great movie that I watched on our, I think it was 14-hour plane ride to Kyrgyzstan last year. Uh, this movie is called Instant Family. I don't know if you guys have watched this. It's free on Amazon Prime. Uh, I, yeah, I encourage you to watch it because it's beautiful. It's a very beautiful movie. It's a little crude, but it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's about the foster care system, right? Uh, Mark Wahlberg uh, is one of the main characters, and... Uh, they can't have children, and so they're going to they're gonna foster a kid. And something's very, I'm not going to give it away because I really want you guys to watch it, but um, you, there's such a difference between foster children and adopted children. Right? The foster children live in such a way where, as if they're on probation. Um, it's really sad because uh, anytime a new family takes them in, they have to be on their best behavior. They got to do everything, all their chores right. Why? So that they can get adopted. Ultimately, that's the ultimate goal. And so you see just this, this really sad kind of relationship, dynamic of relationships in, in the foster care system. But once the kids are adopted, it's just, it's just it's different. Uh, the, the, the whole dynamics of the relationship is different. Actually, there can be actually more rules, more disciplines after adoption, right? Because if you give them chores... Previous of being adopted, think about it. Wouldn't you be anxious and fearful the entire time where you're taking out the garbage? Oh, is this good enough? Is this going to get me in? But the parents are able to establish more, more rules and actually more expectations once they're adopted. Because why? Because there's safety and security. So many Christians live like foster kids. Like I shared, when you give foster kids chores, the motivation to carry out those chores, it can't help but be fear and anxiety. Wanting to perform and be good so that God will accept us. Right? So we try and see if we're good enough right, for our foster dad. Again, that is not the gospel. Adoption is a gift of grace. And we receive it immediately once we place our faith in Jesus. 
But once adopted, God does now have expectations for his children. He has rules for us to follow. But listen very carefully to the next thing that I share. There is no, law, no love to be lost when we're disobedient. And at the same time, there is no love to be gained in our obedience. Let me say that one more time. There is no love to be lost when we're disobedient. And at the same time, there is no love to be gained in our obedience. God's love for his children is constant. It will not change. It is perfect. It's not based on our performance. It's based in Jesus Christ. So the question then becomes, then why obey at all? Why do anything at all if, if there's no love to be gained or love, love to be lost? Why, why do anything? Please listen carefully one more time. Although we can't lose or gain more love, we can, however, experience more joy. There's more joy to be had. There's untapped joy in Jesus Christ. We have yet to taste and experience. So we obey for more joy that God wants to give us. He wants us to live the fullness of life. He wants to give us the fullness of his joy. That's why he gives us a law. Now, it's just so weird and crazy. We think that God gives us a law because he just doesn't want me to have fun. He's just a killjoy. Right? And so we, 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 like, like, we hate rules, right? That's not true. We love rules. You love rules. Watch someone that loves football watch the game. Flag goes up. Yes. We love rules. We can't play sports without rules. God gives us the rules, right? He gives us his law so that we can experience the fullness of his joy. Live life to the fullest. And so, yes, he wants us to obey for his glory, but also for my good. But when we disobey, what does God promise to do as, his fa- as our father? He disciplines. He disciplines us. And yes, it hurts. But it's out of love that he disciplines us. Brothers and sisters, the good news is that God is committed to our transformation. He will see it through. He's the one who's going to make us more like Christ. He is our vine dresser. He's our farmer. He is a master craftsman. Meaning that he'll go around and he'll prune us. He'll chisel away at our lives. The sins that are plaguing our lives, he wants to prune. He wants to chisel that away. He wants to remove the disease of sin. He wants to course correct our lives. Knowing that when we go, if we go down that path, it's actually going to be to our detriment, to our folly. So he will course correct. And sometimes it's painful. It's uncomfortable. But it's ultimately for our joy. You know, we, um, there's this quote that I shared with you guys a while back. And this was, describes what, what Jesus does and what God does for us who are struggling to bear fruit, who are struggling to be, become more like Christ. I just want to read this for us. Thus I say, deals the Lord Jesus, oft times with our barren professor, meaning our, our lack of fruit, who, uh, me, right? He diggeth about him. He smiteth one blow at his heart, another blow at his lusts, a third at his pleasures, a fourth at his comforts, another at his self-conceitedness. Thus he diggeth about him. 
That is the way to take bad earth from the roots and to loosen his roots from the earth. Barren fig tree. See here the care, the love, the labor, and way which the Lord Jesus, the dresser of the vineyard, is fair to take with thee. If happily thou mayest be made fruitful. I know the language is old, but you guys get the point. God is committed to help us transform, to be more like Christ. But look at the language. A blow at our lusts, right? He loosened the roots. This is uncomfortable. Sanctification is God's work and often, often includes pain and suffering. But he has also given us one of the most precious gifts of all in our sanctification, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus Christ. One more time, the, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Every Christian has the Spirit of Jesus in them. But there are things we do that can suffocate and frustrate the Spirit's work in us. And there are things that we can do to allow it to breathe and take over our lives. You know, I know I'm getting older when I find myself watching, you know, shows like Planet Earth, like on Netflix. You know, during one of the Rainforest episodes, they did like this time lapse of these plants. Uh, the behavior of these plants is quite fascinating. I didn't know plants can move in that way. Uh, it's pretty dramatic. Um, you can YouTube it. But um, they follow the sun. Because that's how they get their nutrients. But I don't know, like, they can actually bend and contort themselves to wherever the sun is located. Uh, I, I found this very fascinating, so I, I, I looked it up, this behavior. Uh, and it's called, uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm saying it right, phototropism, right? Phototropism. Uh, where the plant is leaning and trying to get more of the sun. I was thinking about this, and in our case, Jesus Christ is that sun. Because it is in Jesus received the proper nutrients. We need to grow and mature. And so our part in sanctification is this. We have to reposition ourselves. We, 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 have to, we have to position ourselves to receive more of Jesus Christ. Right? Because when we do that, the spirit within us is going to start working. It's going to start transforming us when we position ourselves to receive more of Christ, the Son. There are things that we can do to expose ourselves to Jesus more and more. Right? These are called the spiritual disciplines. Or in other words, means of grace. How we receive grace. And that is through reading the Bible. It is through prayer, fellowship with other believers. It is by coming on Sunday where the gospel is preached. It is participating in the sacraments of communion and baptism. These are all the ways that we can now position ourselves to receive more of the Son. And so we can frustrate and suffocate the Spirit's work, or we can actually expose ourselves so that the Spirit can work. So there is a part that we play. Right? It's not just completely passive. God has given us all these gifts of grace for us to experience more and more so that we can be exposed to Christ the Son. More and more. So sanctification is first and foremost God's work. And we do play a part in it. But never forget, we pursue these disciplines as adopted children, not as foster kids. 
Sanctification is ultimately the pursuit of greater and deeper joy, not of love. And remember, it is a lifelong journey that includes disappointment, pains, frustrations, and even delays one degree at a time. So the Christian life is not just like just a straight line to holiness. Actually, it's, it's, it's like that more, right? There are dips in it. We, we, we grow stagnant, but it's always progressive to be more and more like Jesus Christ. If I can speak to those here who, maybe you're here out of religious duty. Right? You're living as a, a foster kid. You're living in religious probation, hoping and wanting to be good enough for God. I hope you're encouraged today because you will never measure up to God's standard. There's only one that has done that, and that's Jesus Christ. He did it for you. My invitation for all those living as foster kids is receive Jesus. Just acknowledge that you're a sinner and that Jesus is your perfect Savior. And instantaneously, you become a child of God. You're adopted. You don't don't need to toil and strive to try to get in. Jesus has won that for you. So receive it. And if you want to do that, talk to one of the pastors. We'll love to pray with you and celebrate what God is doing in you. And for those of us here who are struggling as a Christian, maybe you're in an extended season of stagnancy or even a dip. You may be questioning your salvation. I want to remind you today that your performance doesn't get you in. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by faith in Christ alone. And God's not done with you yet. He hasn't given up on you. He's with you and he's for you. He will never leave nor forsake you. You may, you may think that he's abandoned you. He hasn't. He's your father. But he wants you to turn. He wants you to repent. He wants you to position yourself to be reminded of his grace. So maybe, maybe the application for you is Maybe faithfully come out more on Sundays. Not, not, not to win his favor, but to hear about his favor. Maybe, maybe you can join a calm group to share in fellowship with other believers. Because in, in that, you, you, you hear stories of grace. Maybe it is to open up the Bible and read more. Right? Not, not, not to receive more blessings, but to remind you that you are blessed. I want to close by... Uh, reading lyrics to a song that I, I love. It, it, it just fuels and it encourages me. It's a song called Day by Day uh, from Citizens. Uh, I'm just going to read a couple, couple um, pericopes from the, from the song, but I want to encourage you guys to look it up. Day by Day by Citizens. This is, what, uh, this is how it reads. Even when I'm at my worst, Even when I'm at my worst, I'm still of righteous birth, covered by, sorry, I'm good. All right. Even when I'm at my worst, I'm still of righteous birth, covered by a saving grace, past, present, future debt erased. My heart is changing day by day. When I run like wildfire, I'm still a ransomed child, bought with blood, 
spilt on a tree. Sin, death, they have no hold on me. My will is changing day by day. It's tough. The Christian life is tough. Um, God is committed to changing our hearts and our wills day by day. And yes, we're going to have feelings of, of guilt and shame. We're going to forget that we're a ransomed child. We're going to forget that that blood was spilt on a tree to save me. Brothers and sisters, God is committed to our sanctification. Uh, he will see it through. But he's also given us so much, so much to expose ourselves to the beauty of Jesus Christ. Church, let's turn our gaze to Jesus day by day. And let's pursue holiness for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this amazing doctrine of progressive sanctification. It's, it's tough, Lord, because uh, we are so accustomed to the old. We carry with us so much baggage uh, <clears throat> from the life that we lived previous to knowing you. <clears throat> but Lord, um, you've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit. You've given us your word the gift of prayer, the gift of community, the gift of the gospel where we can be reminded that we are not saved by our performance. We're not adopted children by our performance, but by the blood of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be reminded of this truth. Encourage us. Fill us with joy. And may this grace be the very fuel that, that we take and we just run to pursue holiness and transformation. We weren't deserving. We, we showed no promise to be a son or a daughter, but yet you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die. So God, I thank you so much for being so patient with me and being patient with us. You have not given up on, yet, on, on us yet, and you will never. You will see it through that, that we conform to the image of Jesus. Day by day, Lord, we look to you. Day by day, we need your grace. So God, now as we respond, Holy Spirit, I ask that you will fill us as we turn our gaze upon Jesus. May you fill us with joy and delight. We give you all the glories. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.